Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 51 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to divert just a little bit from our typical Disney conversation to talk a little bit more about Disney English, which is a part of the Walt Disney Company under Disney Publishing that actually teaches English language classes to kids around the world. And I interviewed someone who worked on the Disney English team in Shanghai, Daniel Morris, who has also published a book on this same subject entitled Teaching with Disney, a Memoir of Disney English. So I'll sit down with Daniel and talk a little bit more about what the Disney English program entails, about his experience working on this team in Shanghai, and a little bit about his experience visiting all of the Disney parks around the world, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland California, Disneyland Paris, because he is originally from the United Kingdom, as well as Disneyland Shanghai, Hong Kong Disneyland, and the Tokyo Disneyland Resort. At the end of the show, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all of our social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. What's interesting about Disney is not only does Disney have an impact on our lives here in the United States or perhaps wherever you're listening from, but Disney has an impact all over the world in terms of entertainment and in terms of culture. And not many of you might know of a division of Disney known as Disney English. And I myself would consider myself to be an amateur on the subject. I've heard Disney English, I've seen on the Disney Career site, jobs posted for Disney English, but didn't know too many people who have ever participated uh, or worked in this program. So I have a guest on the show with me today to talk to us a little bit more about what Disney English has to offer and really what it's all about. And I think it's a really fascinating conversation. So I'd like to welcome uh, Daniel Morris to the podcast. How are you, Daniel? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And I know that not only are you a uh, a participant or a cast member with Disney English, but you also have a book out on the subject called Teaching with Disney. 
Yes. Um, so yes, I was a cast member with Disney English for um, nearly three years, and then um, I stopped being a cast member, and I wrote a book about my experience with Disney English. And because, as you say, um, Disney English, I found that it was, it's quite a big uh, division of the Disney company, especially here in. Um, Asia, but nobody really knows about it, so that's why I decided to uh, uh, write my book. That's incredible, and I have to pick up a copy. I am ashamed I haven't read it yet, but I feel like mm-hmm. I do need to read it uh, to get more of a, a backstory about Disney English. But I find this conversation is going to be more uh, authentic that way because I genuinely have <laughs> a lot of questions about it. Uh, but before we jump into the Disney English conversation, I do want the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. And as we were talking before the recording, I was realizing you have a really interesting background that I didn't even know the full history of. So how, you know, what what was your background before Disney English? What did prompt you to get into the Walt Disney Company? What was the whole background of you before getting to work for Disney in that division? Well, I um, I have an, a BA in theatre and an MA in film screenwriting. Um, I was a theatre director and a teacher back in England, and I would come over as we were just talking to the States to do some teaching and some, some theatre work um, for several summers. Um, and it was getting pretty serious with my theatre company, and it was either do I put all my effort into my theatre company back in England, um, but at the same time I was getting itchy feet. So I decided that I wanted to um, teach um, uh, away for a while um, in a different country, some TEFL stuff. At this point, I had um, no idea Disney English existed. So I did my TEFL course, which is teaching English to foreign language learners. Um, and I started applying for jobs, some in Korea, some in Japan. Um, and as I was applying for jobs, uh, advert popped up across the banner for Disney English. And I've been a lifelong Disney fan. Um, I have the tattoos to prove it. And so I, <laughs> so I uh, applied, um, got an interview, um, had an interview at like 3 a.m. my time because it was daytime in uh, China, um, got accepted there and then, which was mind-blowing. And before I even knew it, I accepted the position and was ready to go to Shanghai. That's incredible. And... I know that you mentioned before we started recording that you lived in New York for a little while, and that's where I'm from, but it doesn't sound like you're from New York. Where are you from originally? <laughs> yeah, so I am, um, I'm from, uh, well, just outside of Manchester in England. Um, I always say Manchester, but then if anybody of my friends are listening and they hear me say Manchester, they will they will uh, be annoyed because I'm not actually, but just close. That's the closest big city in England that um, I'm from. But um, I now teach in Hong Kong, and my students, funnily enough, don't think I have an English accent. They think I have an American accent, and I think that's from my years of either teaching in uh, New York or teaching in China now as well. So they they 
don't hear the Englishness of my accent that I can hear, but they they don't hear it. <laughs> That's interesting. It's you have I would consider to be a worldly accent, kind of blending <laughs> between different accents from different places. The same thing happened to me when I worked for Disney in Orlando because I, prior to doing that, had a strong New York accent, which I still have pieces of it, but I have lost. I had lost a big part of it when I went to Orlando because there were people from all over the world, including people that I worked with, and my accent got muffled because of that. So uh, it, it was uh, interesting once you start working in different places how your accent begins to shift a little bit. But you said you're a big Disney fan. I'm curious, especially because you're in China now, which of the Disney parks around the world have you visited before? Um, I've visited all of them, actually. Um, yeah, lucky enough to visit them all. Um, when I was growing up, we would go to the Florida parks a lot. Um, even though I lived in England, I didn't visit Paris until I want to say I was maybe 21, 2010. Um, the weekend of Toy Story Land opening, um, coincidentally, but amazingly. Um, and then... When I moved to Shanghai, it was in 2015, so it was before Shanghai Disney opened up, but then I did um, Hong Kong Disneyland and Tokyo Disneyland as soon as I had the chance to when I was here, and then ticked off LA as the last park I'd been to in 2016. So yes, luckily managed to do them all. That's incredible. So now I really have to ask my lightning round (laughs) questions because most people who our guests on the show have been to several parks, but not as many as you have. So of all the Disney parks that you have been to, which one is your favorite? Oh, so I have, I've, that is the hard, I knew that is the hardest question you were going to ask. Cause I always, <laughs> always change my mind, but I think right, I think right now t- taking nostalgia out of it i think right now it's animal kingdom actually (laughs) i love it that's my favorite park and i'm glad that of all the parks you've been to that is your favorite that's incredible do you have a favorite attraction um yeah um like my fallback answer for years was splash mountain but now i've been to all of them i would probably have to say mystic manor here in hong kong that's amazing (laughs) i am very excited about the trackless dark ride technology because it does not really exist here in the U.S. at this point, which is incredible that it exists so many other places, but we don't have many attractions here in the U.S. that have that technology. And the first time I experienced it was over at Disneyland Paris for Ratatouille's attraction in the the Walt Disney Studios Park. But I know that when we have Rise of the Resistance, it's going to take the marvel of the technology at mystic matter and amplify it by 10 yes just a a magic number to it but really gonna gonna put a big spin on it because this is also coming to before i get to my next question because this is also coming to uh the united states have you been on the tron light cycle power run yes um i have um it's great um, I don't think it's the best thing in Shanghai. I think pirates, and I actually think Buzz Lightyear is better as well. Interesting. Um, yeah, Planet Rescue, which is arguably the best shoot 'em up dark ride I think that Disney has. I um, Ant Man and the Wasp just opened here as well, and I think that comes close. I think they're both excellent. 
But yeah, uh, Tron is very, very good. And what I've seen for your, um, they've just started building the track I've seen. Uh, so that that's exciting. And I maybe it's not, but it looks bigger. Um, I I think the one thing I would say about Tron is it's spectacular, but in Shanghai it's a little short, I think. So it'd be good if it was a little longer in the Magic Kingdom. I think it's all about forced perspective too, because Magic Kingdom is very uh, condensed and you have structures around it that sort of Space Mountain's there, but Space Mountain's not as big as people think it is. And Tron in Shanghai is a little more out in the open, which makes yeah. it look smaller. So yeah. I think that's where the trick is. But we'll see. <laughs> You'll have to come and visit in the Magic Kingdom after 2021 and let us know how it compares to Shanghai's version for sure. Um, the next one, the next couple of questions definitely tie more into uh, people's childhood, I find, which is first, what is your favorite Disney movie? And this can cover that, any category. Uh, that one is um, definitely tying into my childhood. Um, so when I was doing my MA to get into the interview process, they said, if you could remake any one movie, um, what would it be? And without hesitation, I said Toy Story, because it's my favorite. If I could have wrote any one movie, it would have been Toy Story. Um, I've grew up loving Toy Story. I've got a, a few new favorites now as well, but I, I can't say anything else than Toy Story. That's incredible, <laughs> though. And you're, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing Disney movie, and obviously what catapulted the success of Pixar. Um, last question, is your favorite Disney character? Uh, it was Buzz Lightyear for a long time, but now actually it is Bing Bong. Oh, it's an um, amazing answer. It's so creative. <laughs> and he is so creative, and that's why I love him. He is imagination personified. So in a way, he is almost Disney personified. Um, I heard, uh, I heard, or I read, I think on Twitter that that he is the like non-canon cousin of Figment, and I think that was the best one of the best things I've ever heard that they are definitely related. <laughs> That's a very good comparison. And it's making me think perhaps as Disney continues to make plans for Epcot, that there's been long time rumors of imagination getting a refurbishment and I want them to keep figment, but it sounds like if they were to do the, some sort of revision that perhaps with the, with new intellectual property, that perhaps Bing Bong would be a comparison, or perhaps have Bing Bong and Figment together. That would be really interesting to see them bounce off of each other. <laughs> I had an idea which almost everybody would probably hate, but I thought, because I have also heard those rumors that you you turn Journey to Imagination into um, a Inside Out ride very easily. Um, use Bing Bong in the Figment role to appease that, and then I would put Figment in Spaceship Earth and have him as the narrator of Spaceship Earth. And that kind would be of do really like, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I I imagine I would um, <laughs> be chastised <laughs> for that idea by some Disney uh, loyalists. But I think taking one Epcot staple and putting it in in the Epcot staple attraction and having Figment is the mascot for Epcot for a lot of people. So I think 
that 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 is what I would do. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's a really creative <laughs> idea for sure. And I never judge people for taking creative <laughs> uh, liberties with with different attractions because creativity is how we get to uh, you know change and new and brilliant ideas. So. Uh, it's definitely an interesting idea I haven't heard before, but uh, at least you're looking to keep figments in Epcot, so I appreciate that. Um, so let's jump to talking a little bit about Disney English, and I'm very curious to hear more about your personal journey with that part of the company. But before we get to that, what is Disney English? For those who don't know anything about it, how would you summarize what Disney English is all about? So Disney English is um, an after-hours school, pretty much, for English language for students um, aged three all the way up to 12. But normally you're teaching like four to eight-year-olds a lot of the time. Um, so, And it is only in mainland China. Um, it expanded all over mainland China when it first came out. But now it is only really in six um cities i don't know the exact number of centers they still have and i think it's around 20 but it could be one or two off there now so they have 20 of these schools per se and kids will come after school or at the weekend and they'll have a two-hour lesson and they will usually come for a year and then they might stay on a little bit longer and progress through um, teaching english um, through disney ips so instead of sat down students learning English um they would come into a classroom that is decorated like a Disney movie um and they would learn a set of content words for example food items but with an IP attached so for food it was uh, Lady and the Tramp so we would kind of go through the storybook teach some of the words there's some interact there's an interactive whiteboard that will be playing uh, Lady and the Tramp content and stuff like that that's really fascinating. I love how they're incorporating Disney into the mix as well. Are these mostly younger students, students in, you know, secondary or high school? What was the or was it a, a completely, you know, diverse age range? So the classes aren't necessarily aged, but it is normally like four to eight is normally um, the age you will get. Um, you would normally only get four, five, and six-year-olds in one type of class. And then if you did have older students, they would be in a, in a different class. Um, and they are scholars for the four to six-year-olds. And then six plus is called advanced scholars. Same kind of thing, just a little bit more difficult, um, more words put in for the advanced scholars. Um, and students would progress through these levels um, termly. They could be, if they are really excelling, they could move up or down. It's quite fluid like that. But, um, but yeah, uh, that, that was it. And they would graduate every three months from that, that level and then graduate at the end of the year and move on. Very interesting. It's, it's interesting they have so many students and it makes sense to separate by those, you know, uh, almost amateur and advanced uh, levels, which makes a lot of sense. So in terms of your personal journey, obviously your background was in theater and you had taught TOEFL classes. Had you 
dreamed of working for Disney before, or was it more about looking for an opportunity to teach English classes? How did you come across uh, this role, and what led you to apply for it? Well, yeah, I wanted to um, teach, um, get away for, I thought, a year and teach in a different country. And then I saw the advert for Disney English. I hadn't heard of it before, so I applied. Uh, luckily, got the position quite quickly. Um, decided that it was Shanghai that I wanted to go to because they gave me a choice of the different cities in China. Um, and then moved again for a year. Um I, th- I think when I was younger, I did want to do the college program, but it was something I never, well, I clearly ne- never really, really wanted because I, I didn't apply. Um, so, but then having the opportunity to do this, um, I was really excited, got there, um, first had a little, little bit of jitters for realizing what I'd actually done and moved halfway across the world <laughs> to a country that, English isn't their first language. I have um, lived in America and Finland before. Um, and even though Finland, they speak Finnish, they speak English almost bilingually. So they were easy experiences. And my first few days in China were not. <laughs> um, but Disney English actually made that whole process incredibly easy. Um, when people have asked me to... Um, uh, w- whether Disney English is the company they should use if they want to uh, teach uh, in Asia. I say that if if you're first time and you're nervous, Disney English smooth, smooths over all of that process. They pretty much held my hand through everything. They booked my flights. They helped with the visa process. They were my first port of call. Um, somebody was there to have, a cast member was there to pick me up at the airport, even though it was like 4 a.m. in the morning. I was drove then to the hotel, met by a welcome pack, then met another cast member later that day. Everything couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have been better that way. So if anybody is wanting to do, uh, teach, teach abroad, teach uh, English second language, Disney English helps you with so much, and I know other companies, some do, some don't. Some say, your start date is this day, get here, please. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating, and I, I'm trying to picture myself even deciding, uh, all right, I'm going to move to Shanghai, and I, I personally have never even been to Asia, period. Had you been to China before and talking about the language barrier, did you know Mandarin or, you know, were you completely going in without knowing the language at all? So, um, no, I'd never been, I'd never been to, well, I'd been to Singapore when I was very little, but that, that, and Hong Kong, I think when I was very little as well, but that's the extent. Um, and I have no actual memories of these experiences so i'd not been to asia before myself um and i one of the good things disney did was they paid for a rosetta stone online course as well so you had access to that so i picked up basics before i came out but very little to be honest more like hello goodbye um stuff like that it was more when i when i got to china it was much easier to learn basic conversational mandarin um shanghai i was quite fortunate because most of the big places you can you can use english it is mainly just 
taxis, so I learned directions, um, some food stuff, because I have a peanut allergy, so I needed to know, please don't serve me peanuts, I will die. Um, and um, money, because if you are doing the like the markets or the technology markets, if you speak Mandarin, you get a better price than if you speak in English. So they were the things I learned. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I, I couldn't even imagine... Of course, I'm glad that they gave you a, an online course so you can learn those basics, but even go abroad to a country you've never really been to before, especially a city you've never been to before, not knowing the language, that's quite an experience, quite a worldly experience, one that brought you, of course, to writing a book and also uh, you know, to doing interviews like this one because it is such an interesting story. How long did Disney give you from the time that they accepted you to uh, to move? Like, what was that transition like? And, uh, you know, what was it like to decide what we were going to bring with you, what you weren't going to bring with you, and, um, you know, getting your accommodations set and everything like that? Uh, well, I'll be honest, and I do go into this in the book. I was a bit of an idiot about the whole process. Like, I was oh, like, no. yeah, the- <laughs> Um, I was like, yeah, this is this is great. Of course, I want to do this. Not really thinking about what I was actually doing. Um, so I just kind of went through it all um, because of the visa process. And I actually think it's longer now as well. Um, I got accepted, I want to say, in November, maybe early December, but I think it was November. Um, and I flew out in March. Um, I would have gone the next month if they said um, because again, I wasn't really thinking about things, um, but because of the visa process and all those stages, it's about a four month process. Now I'm led to believe because of the China visa process has got more difficult. I think it's six months and it can be even longer for some people now. So you kind of have to plan ahead if anybody out there is thinking of that. Um, but um yeah i was i was like yeah this is great this is easy i can do this i lived in america i lived in finland this is fine it's just the same it wasn't <laughs> so i kind of up until like maybe two days before uh nerves started to creep in uh, kind of pushed them away um packed my things got on the plane and then i got on the plane surrounded by uh chinese nationals um uh, realized I was the only person that looked like me on the plane and then that is when the panic started to set in and kind of had a little bit of a meltdown at like 30,000 feet like oh no (laughs) what am I doing so uh I was actually and again this is in the book uh my plan was I decided halfway through the flight that that this is it I'm going home I will turn around um, and um, I will head straight back to Manchester, continue my life there. This was a mistake. So I landed and I'd planned to just get my stuff and by the next flight out, um, uh, I saw as I was exiting the the arrivals gate, I saw the person with the Disney English uh, t-shirt on. So I knew she was looking for me. I tried to sneak past her. I couldn't. She stopped me uh, and then kind of before I knew it, got me in a car. Um, and then once I got some food and and started to settle in, gave myself a couple of days, 
and those couple of days then turned into three years. <laughs> That's amazing. And I should have asked this even earlier, when you were selecting the program or the, the, the role, did Disney set out a certain time period or options for how long this role could be? Or was it a full-time permanent position that was dependent upon when you felt like you wanted to stop and change roles or uh, if Disney felt that it wasn't working out, like what, what was the, the option for how long you were going to be doing this? Um, so you actually sign and depending on how, how many trainers they need at the time. And if they're desperate for, uh, foreign trainers, that's, that's what we're called. Um, at the time you'll either sign a 12 month which is more like a 13 month contract or like a 16, 17 month contract. So, um, yeah, I, uh, signed a 12 month contract. Um, now some people I've spoke to who, um, have asked me for advice. They say, yes, 12 months, but what happens if I don't like it? Like, would they want you to leave before your 12 months? No, of course not. But Disney English also understands that asking people to do, a big thing so if people were wanting to do it i would say go there do it see what it is and if it's not for you in a few months it's not for you and don't feel like you're tied to living in a place for a year that you really don't want to live in um but again disney english does have that support structure where you can talk to people um the good thing about it uh, is it's everybody's in the same boat so everybody's kind of been through what you're going through in the center so they can talk you down it is quite a close-knit community sometimes that's a great thing sometimes that's not but, but if, again if you're feeling nervous uh, there is that support structure but yeah it's normally a year sometimes 18 months the fact that you did it for longer than a year but signed up for a year <laughs> is a good sign um <laughs> so Going into, you know, so you arrive in Shanghai and they pick you up, they feed you. What was the process like or how did Disney help you to acclimate to the Chinese culture and what did they do to train you? What was the training like for the role once you arrived? So um, it, we you arrive and then you have... You are Disney have already booked you into a hotel for two weeks, and then you have to find your own accommodation after that. Um, and then you go through quite a rigorous. Uh, I'm sorry, I think they booked your hotel for three weeks, but that might have changed. Um, I think it was three weeks when I was there. Um, but you can move out earlier, and most people do. But you have up to that time to find a place. Um, they they get a realtor do they have like a realtor that will speak, come and speak to you and try to help you. But that is the kind of thing that the only thing really that you do on your own and you're free to do on your own, which is actually quite good because you can do stuff before you can get into groups. You can look for uh, Disney English Facebook groups where people are always advertising roommates and stuff like that. So that's quite easy. Um, so you have three weeks to find a place, which in a fast moving city like Shanghai, I mean, you're from New York. I, I imagine, you know, how fast things move there. Uh, Shanghai is the exact same. So 
three weeks is more than enough time to find an apartment. Apartments go on market and go on market like in in an hour. So um, so yeah, and then you go through this training process that will take around two weeks or so. Um, you do a, a beginnings, which is our version of traditions. Um, it's called Disney Beginnings. On on your first day, uh, well, yeah, your first day, and then uh, go through training process again. They they do ask for previous teaching experience, but not um, English second language experience. So they really do hold your hand through all of this process, um, intense training, making sure you know the way Disney English does everything for like like. Disney theme parks, Disney do things a set way. There is no um, exception for Disney English. They do things a set way that no other English center will do. There is the four keys are still as prominent in Disney English as they are for anyone else. Um, yeah, and then and then th- that's that's it. You go through all your lessons and then you will be told which center you are going to. Um, you start to go to your Disney English center for maybe like half a day to observe and then you'll do more observing and more training in your center once you've left the the training facility. So it is, it is really a, I don't want to say a slow process in a bad way, but you're not, you're not just thrown into classrooms and expected to teach. Part of the visa process means you have to go through all of this. All, um, so you actually can't teach for a, lo- for a while. So to be honest, by the end of it, you're like, I want to teach now. <laughs> Let me interact. So they definitely don't just throw you in at the deep end. There is a gradual, a gradual curve to all these things. That's incredible. It's nice that they not only put you up in a hotel for a few weeks, but give you the liberty to decide where you want to be, which is nice. It, there's pros and cons to having the option to choose where you live as opposed to, in the case of the Disney College program or professional internship, being assigned a location, being assigned roommates and living there. You know, Obviously, there's pros and cons to that as well. Uh, and I'm glad that they, they kind of nurtured you in the process too. And one of the things that I loved about working for Disney, especially on the, the college program and then in the professional internship was similar, but not quite as, as, uh, the same in this respect was the cast members that I worked with. And it was amazing that I built friendships with people all over the country and all over the world. And I remember even taking a class where I was the only person in my group uh, we split into smaller groups to work on a team project, and I was the only one in that in my team to be from the United States. I had a classmate who was from Brazil, another from uh, Finland, and another from Australia. So they were all over the world. When you arrived and you were in your training program and then perhaps even working in your particular center, where you know, what were the other cast members where were they from? How many were there? What was the community like uh, working at Disney English? So, um, yeah, so at my uh, English center, there was eight um, foreign trainer cast members. So that's eight eight cast members that are from um, other countries. So we had um, a couple of Americans, a couple more English um and then a couple of South Africans as well. Um, 
and they they were there. But then also there was a local staff as well um, that, that worked so, so hard. So in your classroom, there was always two teachers. There was the foreign trainer, um, who is an English um, first language speaker, and then um, a learning partner who is local to mainland China. Not always local to your city, um, but local to mainland China. And they are your godsend, not only for the classroom, um, they are amazing in the classroom, but they are your godsend for any help with anything in Shanghai. Shanghai is a big city and they do accommodate to um, English speakers, but there are times where you, you need something translating or something like this. And the, my learning partner saved my life countless times with help with the phone, bank, hospitals, anything that is needed, they are incredible. And that is not their job, but they just go out of their way to indoctrinate you to their, their home countries as, as uh, easy as possible. It's really good. That's great. And I really want to learn more about the whole cultural experience there. But before that, I'm really curious about the day-to-day of the the role itself. And especially that first day, I have a, not, nowhere near a similar experience. It's a very unfair comparison. But when, when I was in uh, college, I had, after the college program, a part-time job teaching uh SAT and ACT courses here in the United States with a large test prep company. And I had never taught in a classroom before. So I remember the jitters of of going and stepping in front of a class for the first time. This is completely different. And I'll give you a lot of credit there. And you had some teaching experience prior to this. So what was the experience like actually stepping into that first classroom and all of a sudden realizing that it was your responsibility to teach uh, students who knew Mandarin, young kids, how to speak English. So, <laughs> yeah, so as I said before, there was a lot of training that went on. So, um, and I've got a lot of teaching experience. So I thought, yeah, this is, this is going to be easy. This is great. I planned all my materials. I had everything ready. Um, I was ready to go. I thought I was going to give these students the best lesson they'd ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and then, so to talk about the structure a little bit, you teach an hour class. Um, on the weekdays, you will teach three one-hour classes um, on the weekends, you will teach um, three two-hour classes. Um, and, yeah, so you'll teach three one-hour classes. However, you will be in something they call the clubhouse 15 minutes before. And the children arrive 15 minutes before your hour class. And you will do, like, warm-up activities. So the And the parents are in the waiting room so they can see everything. So this is um, the big show aspect of um, Disney English. Um, so you do activities that the children are engaged in so the parents can see that all this money they're spending because it's a premium product um, is going to good use. So I got all my materials ready. The kids came in. I was about to start and then one student just grabbed all my materials and just threw them um, across the clubhouse and they all started dancing on tables and I was trying to quiet them down. Um, and it was just um, a bit of a whirlwind from there, really. Managed to get them down and in line and then got them into the classroom. 
to them, which I was told this was a little bit of a difficult class. So I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm an experienced teacher. This will be easy. Sat all the students down. You do a hello song to begin every lesson because it's Disney. So I put on the hello song, started singing the hello song, and all the kids were then not listening to me and running around and causing a bit of chaos. So, um, yeah, it was <laughs> an eye-opening experience that once I got used to how it works and learned rules and routines and their kids got familiar with me. It was it was great. It was amazing. But yeah, I definitely thought I was going to be better than I was for a good while <laughs> of teaching there. <laughs> and I love that you are talking about how Disney has this <laughs> Disney element to it. And you almost forget when you're talking about teaching English classes abroad that this is truly a, a Disney-run program. And, uh, you know, you're talking a little bit about beginnings being similar to traditions and their similarities with the four keys. How does, what are the ways, besides the, the, the hello song, that Disney makes these English classes uniquely Disney? So the yeah they are uniquely Disney from the word go from we have flashcards and even the flashcards have the Disney property that you'll be teaching every lesson has a distinct Disney IP so um, Jungle Animals is obviously the Jungle Book um, and then um, Rooms in the House is uh, Winnie the Pooh um, Toys is Toy Story. Um, so you'll go through the term teaching Toy Story for a month, but then even your classrooms, there are eight or seven classrooms uh, in uh, an English center, and each one is fully themed to be a Disney movie. So I was in the Coral Reef, and um, the, everything was blue and orange, and then there was a big mural of the Coral Reef. Um, we had workboards, but we had to design our workboards to look like the coral reef. Um, there was no cross-branding allowed, so you were not allowed to put any other IP. You were not allowed to put any other IP except from the content you were teaching into your classroom. So I couldn't make a Buzz Lightyear workboard in the coral reef. It had to be Finding Nemo. Um, no other plushes were allowed. Um, Mickey was the only one who was allowed to be in that classroom because he's allowed to go everywhere. Um, but yeah, you had to be strict on on what you had, uh, what branding you had. So yeah, it was it's incredibly Disney. Actually, it doesn't might not sound like it sometimes, but from the moment you step into the Disney English Center uh, to the moment you leave, everything is is Disney. <laughs> That is so interesting, and it really does tie back to Walt himself with the No Cowboys in Tomorrowland story of Walt seeing a cowboy walking into uh, his shift in Frontierland, walking through Tomorrowland, and that story not being consistent with the story of Tomorrowland. And Disney translates that to the classroom, which is insanely detail-oriented and definitely stands for what Disney sets out as quality uh, storytelling. So amazing. It also makes me realize as you're talking about the the toy flashcards or the jungle flashcards that there's a Disney character or story or content that fits with almost every scenario that you could teach, which is really interesting. Um, so 
Do you have a particular from your your two years working there a uh, a moment or a story or a class that stands out as a magic moment for you personally in that role? Um, well, yeah, I do actually. Um, so obviously, with any teaching job, you are told you're not allowed to have favorites. But let's be honest, we're all human. We all have favorites. Um, you just so can't say we... who it is. That's all. You can no, feel it. Yeah. You just can't say it <laughs> or act upon it. Yeah, 100%. So um, at the end, so it was coming to the end of my tenure. I'm pretty sure I was confident that I was uh, going to leave, um, look for a move elsewhere. Um, and it so happened that a lot of my favorites now had ended up in the same class. They'd been with me for maybe over two years or so. Um, so at the end of every term, we have a um, end of term presentation. And um, I decided to go all out. So instead of doing your standard, so an end of term presentation normally consists of like three activities to show the parents, two songs, and then some certificate given. I wanted to make this like fully immersive, so we filmed a music video to one of the one of the popular um, songs from the content, um, and then I um, devised a not so much a play, but like a uh, who done it. So instead of so when the parents came in. I was like, so learners, I've got you all a present today. I was like, oh no, the present's been stole. So we actually had this story that the learners would use the English language, not in a game. It was more through finding clues and working out with their parents what has happened and who who was who was took this thing. And of course it was Donald. He took it because he's mischievous. Um, but uh, it was actually quite sophisticated. And the way the... One, how happy and how amazed the learners and the parents were to experience this was incredible. But two, the fact that they were able to do all of this and use all of this English in such an amazing way was really an eye-opener That because sometimes you probably don't think you're doing a great job or don't think you're doing what, what you should be doing. And this was evidence that I'd, they'd clearly learned something. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And making a music video is really makes it a fun, uh, a fun class, fun activity. So that's uh, that's incredible. Let's talk a little bit about living in Shanghai. You had said you had never been there before. What is it like living there? And how did you decide upon your or get acclimated to, I should say, your surroundings in your neighborhood, picking out where you're going to shop and where you were going to eat. There's a lot living with moving to any neighborhood in the same country can be a cultural shock in some cases, but moving to another side of the, the world is completely different. So what was that like getting acclimated to your neighborhood? Well, yes, Shanghai first is massive, um, not only in population of 24 million, which is insane, <laughs> um, but also in terms of space and area, I feel like I saw, I feel like I saw a lot of Shanghai, but I've probably only seen 
maybe 10%. It feels like multiple cities, especially because it has expanded and grew out. Um, to put it into perspective, I lived in the center of Shanghai and still to get to Shanghai Disney, it is an hour on the underground on the on the subway so wow. it's a yeah it's a pretty big place <laughs> and that's just the center so if i was on the other side of shanghai it would have took two hours or so so um it's crazy um but yeah i decided as i said i i'm well i'm a vegetarian and i have a peanut allergy so i knew that i would need to eat and i probably should stick to um a western area more so i i decided to move to jing'an it's called it's one of the central areas in um, shanghai and it's a an expat area so i could get cheap really really cheap chinese food if i wanted when i was feeling a bit more adventurous and stepping out but then there was um sushi places uh fish and chip places um burger joints um all the western um places to eat quite um quite close by as well um which is good because one thing you probably if anybody does move to shanghai will learn is nobody cooks um food is or I, th- I think still is anyway relatively cheap to eat out you're talking like like not really posh restaurants but um like decent western restaurants will still cost you maybe like six bucks a meal seven bucks a meal so it's it's quite cheap um tipping is not a thing so that still makes it cheaper as well so um nobody really uh cooks so i knew i wanted a place where i could eat a lot and then um find uh, western food to buy from supermarkets as well um at least to begin with and then i could start finding my feet and knowing what i can have and knowing what's safe for me to eat and stuff so i decided to live live there and i actually i did move apartments but i stayed within a two block radius of for where i first moved for my entire stay so yeah that's great that you found the right community and it sounds like there's like any other major city in the world a lot of options a lot of variety and that's really great that you got to to find that area and and to live there as well because you brought up shanghai disney i have to ask about it because i had never been and uh i know that probably if i had to guess the the vast majority of those listening have never been to shanghai disney either for someone who's thinking about going to Shanghai Disney for the first time, what are some of the the tips that you would offer to that person as they plan their trip? I mean, first of all, I would say that if you are coming here, or if you're going to Shanghai, um, if you have the time and you have the finances to come to Shanghai, you should really do all three of the Asian resorts. If you don't have time to do Japan or you don't have the money to do Japan, you definitely should do Hong Kong Disneyland as well, especially because um, if you're not flying a direct flight, you probably will fly into Hong Kong anyway. And all you need to do is get yourself like an eight hour layover because Hong Kong Disneyland is a eight minute cab away from the airport. Oh, wow. Eight minutes, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that close. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it, there is no, there is no reason not to to come to Hong Kong as well. Um, I have a 
maybe I'm in the vast minority, but I have a special affinity for Hong Kong Disneyland. It's now my local park, and I love it a lot. I I think to ha- it's I don't think I would want any other park except for maybe maybe Disneyland, but um, I don't think I'd want any other park as my local park because. Today is Saturday, and I went with no having to book fast passes and went on the five biggest attractions within three hours. Um, I like being able to do that and not have to plan where I'm going to eat and what I'm going to ride three months in advance. So I like having Hong Kong Disneyland as my local park. It's probably not the best Disney park in the world, but it's it's nice to call that one home right now. But Chiang Kai, anyway, um, I was lucky enough to do trial operations because we were cast members. And then I was also lucky enough to go to the grand opening day at Chiang Kai Disney as well. Um, it is crazy. The park itself is beautiful. I think in a few years when the Zootopia opens up and maybe another land as well, it will feel complete i think because of how massive it is there is a lot to do but i found maybe there was quite a lot of walking from one attraction to another attraction which you don't have in a lot of the other disney parks you kind of do in disney sea but that's almost the purpose of disney sea to do that um whereas shanghai i think once they get a few more lands in maybe a few more attractions they won't have that problem just because of how expansive the park it is, but it's incredible. Um, it's great Disney storytelling um, uh, with the latest technology. So even Peter Pan's flight um, is an updated and breathtaking version of Peter Pan's flight just because of how new it is when they built it. And, um, and many adventures of Winnie the Pooh is just updated smoother um and yeah it's just it's an incredible park um because so um obviously hong kong disneyland was built in 2005 but uh, most people from mainland china haven't been to um hong kong disneyland so when shanghai opened um patrons had never really been to a disney park so there was i'll be honest a teething a teething process anybody who is down with the disney parks probably have seen things online and articles online and pictures online of litter um, and stuff but over my t- year of being at the park that got so much better when disney came in and said no you're in a disney park this is how we do things because in china that is not how things are done and um, there was big cultural differences that the guests had to adopt and i think by all accounts now have adopted uh, most of them, which is great because it was such a beautiful space. It deserved to be looked after, and now it is. Um, Tron is great, a lot of fun. Pirates is in my top five attractions in the world. It is breathtaking, and there's just so many hidden attractions that a lot of people don't talk about that I think are great and unique as well. Can you talk about one of those? I'm really curious now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned Buzz Lightyear before, which is uh, a Space Ranger spin um, adaptation, but it's just like so immersive. Feels like you're you're you are there and fighting. The target system is so responsive. Um, the whole gameplay is better, so you will get points for targets you hit. But if you hit fifty percent of the targets, you get a bonus and stuff like that. It's a whole 
they've thought about everything. It's not just point at this target and you get 500 points. So that is incredible. Um, Voyage of the Crystal Grotto is a little bit like Storybook Canal Boats, but, um, but just, again, beautiful, um, ornate, uh, very, very Chinese in design with you going past um, Disney IPs, but then, but then they open up almost like uh, music boxes and water comes out and then you go actually your boat goes inside the underneath of the storybook castle and that's incredible um and then the challenge trails are great i had some american cast member friends like this would never happen in an american park but they are excellent so what happens is you are strapped onto a harness and you pretty much do some rock climbing uh, and choose your path there is always an easy medium or hard and you go up the mountain in adventure isle um and then there's spectacular views of the whole park and you can just walk with your harness or you can do like actually quite difficult challenges as well and that's really cool that's something i've never seen really in a in a disney park as well that's incredible i yeah i haven't i mean the closest i've seen for that is wild africa trek as uh but that's as a tour something separate from from the park itself really cool I, i'm gonna have to definitely do many podcast episodes about the the parks in asia and i feel like when we talk about shanghai or hong kong i'll have to invite you back to talk about certain aspects of that because of course you have a lot more knowledge on the subject than i do having never been to those parks everything i know is from a, a book perspective rather than from an experiential being there in person perspective um to bring it back to to disney english real quick you wrote a book uh, which i talked about just briefly in the beginning teaching with disney um i'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that book and what you talk about in the book yeah so um Disney English was such a uh, big part of my life. It was life-changing. I met my fiancé through the program. Um, it really did change and shape who I am now. So once I finished, um, I didn't really know how to go about it. So I just started writing more so of a me memoir for me just to get down my thoughts. That turned into a book. And then once that turned into a book, I kind of realized that nobody has ever wrote a book about Disney English. So I sent it to Theme Park Press, who are the publisher on the book, and said, hey, I don't know if you're interested, but I wrote this. They responded with, yeah, nobody's done this. We are interested. So there you have it. <laughs> awesome. And for someone who does want to check out the book, can they find it online? Can they find it in a store? Where can they go to, uh, to purchase this book? So, yep, yeah, um, Theme Park Press and it, um, on Amazon in both the UK and the US. So Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk, um, Teaching with Disney, um, available in print and on Kindle. So if there are any traditionalists, print is available. But I don't blame anyone for getting Kindle because it is convenient. <laughs> Great. Well, I will definitely link to the book in the show notes for anyone who is interested in uh, in reaching out and purchasing this. Uh, my last question for you, Daniel, is for anyone who's 
thinking about maybe doing Disney English, who's inspired by this conversation, what advice would you give to them about if they're starting from the beginning, if they have not had this experience before, what are the reasons they should do it? What are the things they should look out for? And I guess just what would be your general advice to that person who's interested in taking on this role? Um, I think just just be prepared, be open, be flexible. Um, it's like any job, like moving to a, a different country, it is a big deal. Um, it is also not for everyone, but if it is for you, it'll be probably the best time of your life. So uh, what I would say is just don't be afraid to try it. And then also don't be afraid to say, yes, this is great. I want to stay here for years. I know many cast members that have done that. And also cast members who have done a year or less and think my time was great, but on to the next chapter. Uh, it's not, it's because of how big of a thing it is. It's never nobody's ever going to say, oh, you didn't give it a shot. You come, you like it. It's great. You don't, you move to Hong Kong and stay here because it is great here as well. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time for chatting with me. I know we have essentially a 12 hour difference, so I'm glad that we were able to find a time that worked for both of us, not being the middle of the night for either one of us, but, uh, Really appreciate you uh, coming on to Imagineer Podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, hopefully we'll have you back again to talk about some of the uh, the parks in China. Uh, I would love to. I could talk about the Asian Disney parks for hours. So anytime you need uh, whatever my experience is, I would happily give it. <laughs> awesome. And with that, we close out episode 51 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about Disney English. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, I really didn't know too much about this program. It's an area where I had heard about Disney English before, but didn't really know the details of how the program works or what it entails other than the very surface level. And I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Daniel for coming out to the show and talking a little bit more about what Disney English has to offer. I would love to also throw it over to you, the listener. I would love to know, have you heard of Disney English before? Or perhaps are you even a student of Disney English? If you don't too, know too much about the program, I would love to know out of all the Disney parks around the world, speaking of visiting all the parks around the world, which one are you most excited to visit or which one is the highest on your list? Perhaps a Disney park you have not been to before. You can send me your feedback, as always, in so many different ways. You can either send me an email at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com or call our listener voicemail at 516 406 
888-8376. If you call and leave a voicemail, I will be sure to play that message on a future episode of the Imagineer podcast. And you can, of course, send your feedback through social media. You can send me a direct message, a public message, or publish a public post to Instagram or Facebook at Imagineer Podcast. You can post to our Facebook group, the Imagineer Podcast Disney fan community, which you can go, which we can get to by going to facebook.com slash Imagineer Podcast and then click on the community tab, which will take you over to that group or go there directly by going to facebook.com slash groups slash Imagineer Podcast or send me a message on Twitter at Imagineer audio. I would encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to please subscribe to the Imagineer podcast, whether you subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, the Google Podcasts, Stitcher, no matter what your preferred podcast app is. And by the way, if there is a podcast app where we're not currently that you would love to see, please do reach out to me and let me know. But no matter what your favorite podcast app is, I hope you'll hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you haven't already rated and reviewed the show, especially in the iTunes store, it really does so much to help our podcast community. I would appreciate any of you who could go and leave us a rating and a review in the iTunes store. It should take you just five seconds to leave a rating, another 30 to 60 seconds to leave us a review in the store as well. And it again does so much to help our podcast and community. If you love the Imagineer podcast, one of the best things you can do for the show is to share it out. Whether you share your favorite episode, perhaps it's this one or another, or the podcast as a whole, or if you're following us on social media to share out our posts, no matter what you share with the Imagineer podcast, it goes so very far to help the Imagineer podcast as a whole. And you can, as always, share the post to social media on any platform, through stories, through static posts, or by text messaging your friends or reaching out to your friends or calling them or whatever you do to share out the podcast. It does so much to help this community. And thanks as always to all of you who do so much each and every day to help the Imagineer podcast to grow and expand. And if you want to take your love of the Imagineer podcast one step further, I would also encourage you to visit patreon.com slash Imagine your podcast to learn more about our VIP program. Essentially what that does is it helps to keep our podcast community completely free of advertisements and sponsorships so that we can focus 100% on the Disney content that you love. It's essentially a way for the listeners to help to support this podcast financially and it gets you some exclusive rewards and even some bonus content in return. So if you love the show, head to patreon.com slash podcast to learn more about how you can help to support our future initiatives, our current initiatives, help keep the lights on, and to help keep our podcast completely advertisement free. I also want to thank a couple of new patrons on patreon.com slash podcast. Huge thanks to Lauren Moser, and Chris Allen. Thanks to both of you for becoming Sorcerer VIPs. I really do appreciate you supporting the show and want to thank you so very much for signing up at patreon.com slash Podcast. Last but not least, if there's anything 
I can do to help to make this show or this community better for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can send me a direct message on any of our social media platforms. It is me responding directly through an email, through voicemail, no matter what you do, send me your feedback and I would love to do whatever I can to make the Imaginator podcast a better place for you. I hope you are doing everything that you possibly can to make a happier and better life for yourself, to go after your dreams, no matter what they are. All you have to do is start. Take that first step. That action is going to get you one step closer to your goal. Remember, as always, that incredible quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Imagineer podcast, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the show.